Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. And welcome to the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast, Week 17 Game by Game Preview Edition. Happy Championship Week. We have made it, everyone. I'm your host, Ian Harditz, and I sincerely hope that you do have at least one squad still remaining in the ever-glorious Week 17. Last chance we get to play real most forms of fantasy football here for a while. So with that all in mind, guys. We know the deal. We're going game by game. At least one key fantasy football takeaway for every single team. And with that, let's get after it. Cowboys at the Titans on Thursday night football. Cowboys sitting as 10 and a half point favorites. Game total resting at 40 and a half. So this Cowboys offense, I mean, always comes back to the quarterback with any conversation about football. But just the the Dak slander that we've seen over these last few weeks is wild. Yes, interceptions haven't been great. As we've talked about, those six of those interceptions didn't even come on turnover-worthy plays. So only Burrow and Davis Mills have more interceptions this year. That PFF has basically said wasn't the quarterback's fault. And you know what? Interceptions be damned. Scoring points, still pretty cool. Since Dak came back from injury, the Cowboys have scored 24, 49, 28, 40, 28, 54, 27, 34, and 40 points. Good for a league high average of 36 points per game. So Pollard's balling. Zeke doesn't have a finish outside the position's top 20 since freaking week five. CeeDee Lamb is the overall wide receiver six. Great day to be a Cowboys fan and great day to have pretty much any Cowboy on the fantasy squad. On the Tennessee side of things, with Ryan Tannehill expecting to miss the rest of the year, Malik Willis did help save any of you, you know, real risk takers out there last week with that nice 14-yard touchdown run. But come on, guys, against Micah Parsons and company. One man we can trust in this entire offense, his name is Derrick Henry. And look what happens when Henry, you know, doesn't get injured. 351 touches, 1,808 total yards, and 13 touchdowns on the year. And the receiving production has been the most pleasant surprise really out of Henry. So 32 catches. Catches. career uh, previous career high was only 19 379 receiving yards his previous career high was just 206 and it's one of those things where if you've watched titans games yeah he has usually at least one horrendous drop per week it seems like and accordingly he's 44th out of 45 running backs in pfs receiving grade but guys if you get the ball in his hands good things happen nobody has averaged more yards per out run at 2.07 than derrick henry among all those qualified running backs this season Moving on to Sunday, we got the Bears at the Lions. Detroit sitting at six-point favorites, the game total at 52. And I want to take a step back and look at Justin Fields as the passer because it's so easy to just become, you know, charmed, I guess. And maybe that's a weird word, but we'll roll with it. With all of his goodness on the ground, and it has been incredible. Still very much in reach of Lamar Jackson's single-season record of 1,206 rushing yards. Just needs 195 more over these next two weeks. But as a pure passer this season, in an offense, let's face it, without pretty much any semblance of talent at wide receiver, especially when you take away Darnell Mooney, who got injured, and hell, Chase Claypool, who we already were kind of joking about being, you know, the savior to this wide receiver room even he hasn't been healthy enough to suit up so already a bad group of wide receivers arguably the worst group of wide receivers in the league what do you expect to happen when those guys now get injured but all that said guys fields among 44 qualified quarterbacks is actually 17th in yards per attempt and 22nd in passer rating so no we do have some other you know metrics out there that point to him being much worse than that and specifically pff passing grade does paint him as a bottom 10 signal caller in the league but that's mostly because of these turnover worthy plays 
Breeze feels trying to make a little bit too much out of something that isn't always there on the season with the 4.3% turnover worthy play rate. That is the seventh highest mark in the league. So the thing with the turnover worthy plays, it doesn't always mean that you're a terrible quarterback because sometimes with a guy like Fields, like Josh Allen, just being willing to make those throws forces the defense to have to cover every damn square inch of that field. And that threat alone can be enough to take an otherwise mediocre average passer and just make them better purely by the defense having to be concerned about more on a play-by-play basis. Just realize the group of quarterbacks with a turnover-worthy play rate over 4% has more bad than good. Specifically, we're talking about Taylor Heineke, Zach Wilson, and Jameis, P.J. Walker, Cooper Rush, Josh Allen, that's great, Justin Fields, Matt Ryan, and Tua Tagovailoa, who have also, you know, put a little bit below Josh, obviously, but in that good-to-great category. So, again, with Fields, let's see him in 2023, hopefully with a bit better surrounding cast, specifically in his pass-catching, uh, you know, rooms. And, yeah, hopefully we'll have an even better idea of what could be to come for Fields in the future after next season. With the Lions, Dome Goff is back. So my apologies. I think I read these stats off last week, and I had something wonky going going on with my uh, settings at PFF Ultimate when I did it, but I have updated it with the correct numbers. Told the same story, just had some of the counting stats uh, a little bit wrong. But anyway, since Goff has gotten to Detroit over these past two seasons in Domes, he has 35 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, averaging a robust 7.1 yards per attempt on a 78.1% adjusted completion rate. Outdoors, those dropped to 6.9 yards per attempt 74.7 percent just completion rate and 10 touchdowns versus three interceptions so Shane Zolsha hey he's out there you know one of the best players in the league obviously he can go score three touchdowns at will all jokes aside it really is the Monroe St. Brown passing game DJ Chark as well against his Bears secondary and just Bears defense in general that we've seen be amongst the worst units in the league here over the past two months pretty much ever since they got rid of got rid of Robert Quinn and Roquan Smith, more or less admitting defeat on the season. So the only problem in Detroit is just the backfield. They continue to keep not one, not two, but three guys involved with Swift, with Jamal Williams and Justin Jackson. Perfectly fine real-life strategy. Justin Jackson is averaging more yards after contact per carry than those guys and more yards per reception. Unfortunately, Swift and Jamal, despite this great matchup, still didn't manage to squeeze them any higher than mid-tier RB3. Specifically, I do have DeAndre Swift as my RB2. 28 ahead of the Bills running backs, guys like Brian Robinson, Chuba Hubbard, amongst others. Jamal Williams is my RB31 behind guys like Robinson, Singletary, Swift, but ahead of, you know, your Chuba Hubbard and Zonovan Knights of the world. Panthers at the Buccaneers. Tampa sitting as three-point favorites. Game total resting at a lowly 39.5. So, yeah, I guess that Lions run defense wasn't really fixed after all. 320 freaking rushing yards for the Panthers last week. That is some bonkers shit. I haven't seen a running back go off like that since Le'Veon Bell at Groveport Madison. Took myself and the Dublin Jerome Celtics straight to hell with over 300 yards on by himself. God, that was a, a nightmare back in junior year. Anyway, Panthers with Sam Darnold under center. 40 8.8 pass play rate. I mean, guys, we've mocked Arthur Smith and the Falcons. They're only at 48.4% all season. So you cannot find a more run-heavy offense in the NFL than the Panthers. That said, let's not get totally carried away about carried away from last week's. Again, great finishes by both Chuba and Deontay. Foreman last week was the RB6. That's his first game higher than the RB28 since week 10. With Chuba, he has just one top 20 finish all season. So Foreman, Chuba, hey, you got any running back in the NFL, and if you're going to give them 15-plus carries per game, good things can happen. I have Foreman as my RB26. Chuba is my RB32. Good, not great flexes. And then finally with DJ Moore. So it's been going good with Sam Darnold. Again, all wide receiver 11. Had a dud, the goose egg, wide receiver 94. But then wide receiver 17 and another wide receiver 11 finish in four games with Darnold. So with DJ, we're right back in the boomer bust wide receiver three territory with actual potential to boom, unlike we saw during the first part of the season. But he's actually averaging fewer targets per game with Sam Darnold than he was with Baker or P.J. Walker. Again, because the offense is so terrified of letting Darnold go out there and throw the ball around the yard. So I have DJ Moore as my wide receiver 25. Behind guys with higher floors like Christian Kirk, Juju Smith-Schuster, DeAndre Hopkins, I know last week, but we're still, you know, looking at 10-plus targets pretty much every game. I would start DJ Moore ahead of guys like Jerry Judy, Drake London, Deontay Johnson, who are in offenses potentially with similar problems and don't have the highest upside, and I'm not, again, not completely shying away from catching some of the heat that DJ still has going on. 
on the other side of things with the Buccaneers. Unfortunately, guys, there's two dudes we can trust in this offense. Leonard Fournette, who somehow, and this shocked me, top 12 running back this year in PPR points, both overall and on a per-game basis. Targets are a, are a hell of a drug in full PPR scoring. And Chris Goblin, who has six-plus receptions in 11 of 12 games since returning from injury in week four. So Mike Evans, 11 freaking straight scoreless games. Guys, I mean, since Brady got to Tampa Bay from 2020 to 2021, including playoffs, the longest Evans ever went without scoring was two games. Now we're at freaking 11. So, hey, you could say he's due, but we could have been saying that for literally the last two, three months, and you wouldn't be wrong uh, by saying so. So Evans, boomer bust wide receiver three. Goblin, he is a volume-based wide borderline wide receiver one. I have him ranked wide receiver 11 this week. And yeah. Kate Otten is actually starting to really take over that tight end role. So if you're really desperate, he's someone at least on the field. But otherwise, don't feel like you need to jam anybody from the league's 28th-ranked scoring offense into those championship lineups. We got the Broncos at the Chiefs, Kansas City, 13.5-point favorites, game total at 45 here. See ya, Nathaniel Hackett. You know, once Patrick Starr is making fun of your quarterback on live Nickelodeon television, just tough to come back from that one. So, yeah, 4-11 and Broncos. They would be 11-4 and this year if they had only scored 18 points during regulation in every game this season. That is awfully sad. Russell Wilson, 31st among 44 quarterbacks in PFF passing grade, 32nd in passer rating, 19th yards for a 10th he's been bad by just about any stat you want to pull up so we'll see what's going on in the future for now jerry judy wide receiver three and that's it we had chase edmonds back in the backfield greg dolchitz okay we can somewhat wrap our minds around him being you know borderline tight end one if you want to be nice but i'd say these days just in this offense and just with this team having absolutely nothing to play for these days certainly not anybody that i'm trying to jam into starting lineups other than judy who we have seen provide some nice production really even before his injury and emerging has the best wide receiver without a doubt in denver other than judy any start sick question involving a bronco player i will almost certainly be taking the other guy as long as it is somewhat close Chiefs side of things, we have Mahomes, MVP front runner at minus 500 at this point. Joe Burrow, plus 700. Josh Allen, plus 800. Only guys even close. So, guys, it's going to be the fifth time this year that Mahomes will have 35-plus passing touchdowns. Uh, fifth time in his career. Yeah, I said that right. Also on pace to clear the 5,000-yard mark. So, yeah, it's the freaking Chiefs. Jarek McKinnon couldn't quite finish as the overall RB1 last week. Still did awfully good. He remains a recommended start as an upside RB2. I would start McKinnon ahead of guys like Tyler Algier, Alvin Kamara, Ezekiel Elliott, AJ Dillon, Aaron Jones, Miles Sanders, amongst others. I just don't think they have the same level of pass game upside. Meanwhile, Isaiah Pacheco. Hey, we are in the Chiefs, I believe, second-ranked scoring offense. Pretty damn good, as we know. And with Pacheco, I would start him ahead of guys that we aren't as confident in maybe finding the end zone, but with a similar rush game volume, like a Jamal Williams, like a Chuba Hubbard, like a Zonovan Knight. Obviously, Travis Kelsey we feel great about. And don't be too afraid of going back to the well with Juju Schuster, who has been booming more than busting here for the better part of the last two, two and a half months. Colts at the Giants. G-Men sitting as five and a half point favorites. Game total at 38 and a half. Nick Foles. Yeah, that was uh, absolutely terrible. Shout out to uh, Steven Ruiz at the ringer. He's always updating his quarterback rankings. A good read. And, you know, you just, you know, the guys, guys uh, watching ball and always putting a lot of hard work into his stuff. So Steven's always been, uh, you know, one of my favorite people to follow in the industry. But he updated his uh, QB rankings and he added Nick Foles. And I believe his comp was uh, if he took the like 2022 Matt Ryan leftovers and he heated them up in a microwave and yeah i think that uh, makes a lot of sense so it was absolutely brutal uh seeing him on monday night i mean at one point in the broadcast it was just showing like what he had done throwing the ball more than 10 yards downfield i want to say he was like one for nine with two or three picks or something absolutely brutal and we didn't even see him completely zero in on a single target so Pittman had seven targets jelani woods had five paris campbell had five alec pierce with four was the only guy elsewhere with more than three so Michael Pittman, I guess we can still fire him up as a volume-based RB3, this giant secondary, especially with a Dory Jackson banged up for most of the second half of the season. Hasn't been a group to overly fear. Just realize, guys, the floor is so low for everyone involved in this sad, sad Colts offense. Final note would be, like again, the best play with the Colts this week is going to be Zach Moss coming off another performance with 70-plus snaps. This time also had Jordan Wilkins in the fold. So Moss is their definitive RB1, and he's facing the Giants' league-worst defense in 
in yards before contact allow per carry. And they've been bad, man. 2.3 yards before contact allow per carry. The 31st ranked team, the Chicago Bears, they're all the way down at 1.9. So Zach Moss is someone that I do think continues to warrant volume-based RB3 treatment. But that said, it is in the Colts. I would still start guys in offenses that we think at least have some semblance of scoring upside, like Jamal Williams, like Brian Robinson, like Zonovan Knight ahead of Moss. I would start Moss, though, ahead of guys like Latavius Murray. The Dolphins running backs, James Cook, Rashad White, and sadly, my guy, Cordero Patterson. More on him in just a bit. With the Giants side of things, I mean, how about this Daniel Jones rushing season? If you look at just fantasy points per game among quarterbacks purely from rushing production, only Jalen Hurts, Justin Fields, Lamar Jackson, and Josh Allen have topped Vanilla Vic, as he is known. 617 rushing yards and five touchdowns for Daniel Jones. That's good for a 41.1 average per game. Mike Vick's career, guys, 42.7. Like, Isn't that wild? 2022 Daniel Jones, only 1.6 fewer rushing yards per game than the, than the freaking great Mike Vick almost said late great but he is very much still alive and kicking so hey I know that's flawed by some of those Jets years and Steelers years at the end but it's still a cool stack give me a damn break here of course with Daniel Jones what we do see is a limited offense because of I guess both some of his limitations but more so this wide receiver group and tight end I mean what who the hell is he throwing to this year Saquon Barkley has barely been used in the passing game throughout the year we lose Sterling Shepard to another unfortunate injury Kenny Galladay has been manicured all year long Kadarius Tony gets traded the Chiefs like it's been a blessing in disguise but like we're unironically talking about Isaiah Hoggins and Hodgins and Richie James you know doing big things Darius Slayton making some plays but come on man honestly with Daniel Jones like I just feel like a lot of people have already made their opinions on the guy and you look at it and yeah, he's still got to improve, I guess, in some areas, but I'd sure love to see Daniel Jones like a Justin Fields and some of these other quarterbacks at least have a good group of receivers around them before we completely write the guy off. So Daniel Jones, we'll see if he gets that franchise tag, you know, something that I enjoyed talking to uh, Kevin Cole uh, earlier in the year with some of these uh, podcasts we had going on, just something to really think about for the future. Cause he hasn't, I mean, again, considering all the people, pieces they've had the lock of pieces i should say they've had in new york i don't know how you could look at 2022 and not be at least somewhat impressed by what jones has brought to the table Jaguars at the Texans. Jacksonville sitting as four and a half point favorites. Game total of 43 and a half. So, yes, no more weather concerns here, pretty much for the entire week. You know, we'll talk about anything really popping up on the Friday injury pod with myself and Nick Bodiford. But again, don't have to be quite as worried about Mother Nature being a whore as we were last week. So, with the Jaguars, Trevor Lawrence, Say Jones, Christian Kirk, you guys know what to do. Kirk and Jones for me are more so both borderline wide receiver twos. You don't need to force them in a lineup but Evan Ingram Trevor Lawrence should be started in more lineups than not and the same is going to go for Travis Etienne this is the matchup guys that we are hoping for a true boom so if you look at Etienne since he got back from injury four games 16 17 21 and 25 touches 70 percent plus snap rate each and every game the problem is he hasn't scored a touchdown since freaking week eight or something I'll look it up right now but man it's just been unlucky for Etienne last week he had I believe back-to-back plays where he stopping the one yard line trevor lawrence has to be a vulture and go ahead and get that score so actually week nine was the last time he scored but what better defense to find his way back into the end zone than against a group that has just really been pegged by one running back after another all season long i mean six different times this texas defense has allowed the overall rb1 or rb2 in full ppr scoring on the week travis Etienne for me is my rb13 i would start him ahead of guys like kenneth walker cam makers jared mckinnon leonard fournette tyler algier amongst others on the Texans side of things, Brandon Cooks is like the only somewhat relevant fantasy option. The backfield is being split three ways. We're still seeing Nico Collins is out for the year, but with uh, Cooks back, Chris Moore was pretty much rendered useless. And shout out to Brandon Cooks. He had the nice game winning touchdown. He even had a second touchdown last week on his 33 yard score. And you can only see it, you know, humble brag here, guys, watching the all 22, but you can only see this play from that. But my goodness, sick double move. Had the cornerback biting like a fish at 6 a.m. 
and just for him to get loose deep, get the 33-yard touchdown, unfortunately nullified by a hold. So Texans' pass defense has been good this year, and we've even seen them have these games against the Cowboys and against the Chiefs where, you know, we're kind of like making fun of the Cowboys and Chiefs for not rising up more, but we got to give some credit to the Texans for keeping those games close. Brandon Cooks, the only guy, though, in this offense that we were caring about. At the end of the day, they do still rank 30th in scoring. So I think I kind of got my uh, defenses a little bit confused there. So Jacksonville, not anyone to overly worry about uh, through the air. Let's go ahead and move on. Cardinals at the Falcons, Atlanta three and a half point favorites, game total at 41. So unfortunately, Chase McSorley under center, that makes James Conner the only guy we can overly trust. It's still tough to rank 24 wide receivers ahead of DeAndre Hopkins due to that sweet, sweet, sweet volume. That said, James Conner, top 20 running back in every single week since returning in week nine. These snap rates for a running back are absolutely ridiculous, guys. In that stretch, 71%, 96% snaps, 77, 97, 96, 91, most recently 96% again. So Greg Dorge coming off that game last week. I, if you want to go ahead and fire him up, as a volume base you know borderline wide receiver three that's fine just realize it has been a little bit up and down throughout this and if we get colt mccoy back who knows if anyone's going to get more than a few targets other than hopkins so Fun fact I found last night, if you made Rondale Moore and Greg Dortch into one person, they'd be the PPR wide receiver 22 this season. You guys can maybe see a little bit why we were excited about Rondale Moore starting out. But hey, to Dortch's you know, credit, every single time they put him out there and they decided to throw him the ball, good things have happened. With the Falcons now, Tyler Algier, guys, just sending my Cordero Patterson share straight to hell here over the second half, and he's been doing great. It's like the uh, scene, again, in Ricky Bobby where Ricky just has to come to grips that Jean Girard is better than him, and I'm not – hey, in the year 2022, Tyler Algier has been better than Cordero Patterson. I said it, okay? And guess what? He's been better than a hell of a lot of other running backs as well. 40 running backs with at least 100 carries. Algier ranks seventh in PFF rushing grade. He's tied for seventh in yards per carry. He's tied for sixth in yards after contact per carry. Tied for fifth in missed tackles force per carry. So how high is too high to rank Tyler Algier in a home matchup against a beatable Cardinals defense that ranks 30th in points per game allowed? I have him as my RB18. What a time to be alive. I would start Algier over guys like Kamara, like Zeke, like the Packers running backs, like Miles Sanders, like Najee Harris, among others. Pretty much where I'm drawing the line is some of these running backs that still have a bit more of an every down roll can catch more passes. So Leonard Fournette, Jarek McKinnon, Cam Akers, Kenneth Walker, Travis Etienne, David Montgomery. Those are some of the guys I would still slightly lean to over Algier. Also, Drake London. Since losing Kyle Pitts, guys, 4, 12, 11, and 9 targets. We lost the fumble last week, but still had some pretty big catches in his own right throughout it. So, fun note I saw from, you know, wide receiver whisperer Matt Harmon. Again, reception perception. One of the best things you can find out there on the internet in terms of true wide receiver evaluation. But Matt brought up a point where... I think he just asked people on Twitter, like, who's a wide receiver you'd be interested in seeing this for? And Matt was already saying, like, hint, Drake London is going to be one of those guys where you can really tell who's been watching the film and who didn't based on what you think of his rookie years. So happy to be on the right side of this, at least so far. You guys can give me that right. We talked about London really impressing throughout the season, just not getting enough volume. But as, we, as soon as we've seen that volume start to come to fruition, he has even been better on the old fancy point scoreboard. So Drake London, Love the potential for him to bounce back in 2023 and maybe even keeping on keeping on here over the final few weeks of the season. All right, guys, before we continue going on, I want to give a quick shout out to our lovely sponsor over at Underdog Fantasy. Guys, hopefully you have a best ball mania team still alive. I had my last one get knocked out just barely last week, but we will take down that tournament next year. Don't you worry. But why wait till next year? Because we got the playoffs here. The gauntlet is open for drafting on Underdog Fantasy. It's a playoff best ball tournament with $1 million in total prizes and a 100,000 first place prize. Just draft your team before the NFL player playoffs start. And that's it. Drafting players that will rack up a bunch of fantasy points and advance deep into the playoffs is key to this style of contest. Again, guys, if you draft your, let's see, if you haven't signed up for Underdog yet, you can use the promo code PFF and you'll get your first deposit up to $100 match. So again, promo code PFF, $100 deposit, you will get that match. It's a playoff best ball tournament. Like, all right, you think the Chiefs are going to advance, but you got to worry about not having them in the first round. You got the Cowboys, you got the 49ers, a lot of different angles to do this. So thanks to Underdog again. 
again for sponsoring us all season long. I'm very excited to get some of these teams going. I'll be tweeting out some of my example rosters. And hey, it's a great day to win 100K. Why the hell not? Shout out to our friends over at Underdog Fantasy. Dolphins at the Patriots. New England sitting as two and a half point favorites. Game total at 42. So Tua is officially concussed for the second time this season. I guess we're not calling that neck injury that caused him to fall down. And I, I okay, two interceptions or two concussions, not three, whatever. Either way, scary stuff for Tua. Please get better. Take care of number one first, man. But unfortunately, without Tua, we've seen Tyreek in certain, I guess, sequences of this offense still look fine. But at the end of the day, weeks four through six, mostly without Tua, this offense only scored 15, 17, and 16 points. And what was interesting with this in the three extended Teddy Bridgewater games under center with some Skylar Thompson in there, too. Tyreek had 36 targets in this stretch, and Jalen Waddle only had 18. So only a three-game sample. I mean, it wasn't like someone was leaping past Waddle in it or anything, but really was more focused on Tyreek than anyone. So guess what? It's Tyreek and Jalen Waddle. You are starting them in every single league, even if there's a fire. Uh, just interesting to see that Tua seemingly a bit more willing to spread it out than these backups. Also, Jeff Wilson, Raheem Mostert, with both of them active, we've consistently seen way more of a 50-50 split. Neither guy really is guaranteed to even clear that 15-touch mark and taking away Tua from the equation in Foxborough. Neither Jeff Wilson nor Raheem Mostert are recommended starts for me this week. On the Patriots side of things, so we had the big Kendrick Bourne game, and yeah, it was great to see. He's a good player. We saw that last year when he got more consistent playing time. It did come on a team-high nine targets, but his 22 routes were actually behind both Jacoby Myers and Tyquan Thornton by quite a bit. We have Bourne splitting time with Nelson Aguilar, who only ran seven fewer routes than Bourne. So they've really been bouncing these routes around all season long. Nobody, including Jacoby Myers at this point, I believe can be trusted as anything more than a pretty low floor wide receiver four. So Ramondre Stevenson, that's it, guys. He's still a feature, feature back. The late game fumbled suck, but when you're playing over 90% of the offensive snaps and having as high of a really pass game ceiling as any running back, save for Christian McCaffrey in the league at this point, Stevenson's the only guy we care about in this in this offense. At the end of the day, they've cleared 225 passing yards one time in the last 10 weeks of action. Browns are at the Commanders, Washington two-point home favorites, game total of 40 and a half. So with Deshaun Watson, here's the thing. So I know a lot of people don't want to provide the context because you don't like them, and that's a very fair thing to do. Go ahead. But in here, we're just trying to watch the film and exact, you know, talk about what goes on with that. So the problem with Watson, even when you add the context, where like last week he had three freaking touchdowns dropped and two of them came on back-to-back plays, so he would have had you know two passing touchdowns, not three. But Cooper, Donovan Peoples-Jones, David Njoku all had passes, hit them in the hands in the end zone. But we have stats that do account for that, PFF passing grade and adjusted completion rate. They are factoring in those drops, and we've seen other instances before the season that would also do that. So when we include those with the context stats, Watson, 38th in PFF passing grade among 44 qualified quarterbacks, and he's 32nd in judging completion rate. So he goes from horrific to still pretty bad because without the context, passer rating, he's dead last among those 44 quarterbacks, and in yards per attempt, he's 43rd. So weather's played a part. Rusty as hell for two years has played a part, but he's been a bad quarterback and he's being paid $250 million to not be a bad quarterback. So with the Browns, um, again, these pass catchers haven't quite been helping him out as much as you would hope. Nick Chubb in the run game, playing through that foot injury, hasn't been able to keep going as well as they would have hoped. Just a lost season for a really talented roster. So 2023 and beyond, you know, I am optimistic that Watson will figure this out. I will call him a buy low in dynasty land if you can go out there and just thinks that someone – is feeling that this is the new norm for him. But yeah, sadly, at least for the rest of this season, not expecting too much of a bounce back. So Cooper and DPJ for me, they're solid guys. I'm not saying you have to sit them, but on the road against a good Washington defense, fighting for their playoff lives, I'm not going to be going out of my way to start either guy. David Njoku, Nick Chubb, really the only two guys that should be in more fantasy lineups than not here in Week 17. 
with the commanders, we got Carson Wentz back under center. Taylor Haneke hitting that bench. And look, he has the highest turnover-worthy play rate in the league. If you look at PFF passing grade, turnover-worthy plays, it's Zach Wilson, Taylor Haneke, not exactly the guy you want to be right next to in any quarterback uh, you know, metric leaderboard. So with Carson back under center, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like it's this massive difference. I mean, I think I probably was more on that boat before the season started, but they're both bad quarterbacks, okay? And a bad quarterback in our world is defined as someone who's not like a top 20 player at their position in the entire world. So not exactly fair, but relative to the other quarterbacks we're talking about, they're both bad. So the big thing to keep in mind is that they've been playing differently in this offense. Heineke, 9.2 yard average target depth. Wentz is only at 7.9. And because of that, we saw Curtis Samuel absolutely boom early on in the season. Weeks one through six with Carson Wentz under center. Curtis had 47 targets. Terry had 35. J.D. McKissick had 32. Gibson, 20. 24, Jahan Dotson, 20. So Dotson was banged up for some of that. Obviously, McKissick is no longer in the picture, and Gibson's banged up in his own right. Just realized really more of a 1A, 1B, even 1C with Dotson, with Wentz under center, as opposed to the Terry McLaurin show with Taylor Heineke. So, look, McLaurin still incredibly talented, this Browns defense, even if they are going to shadow him with Denzel Ward. I mean, we talked about Terry being, you know, the freaking – master of the shadow realm i'll come up with a better nickname at some point than that uh with terry here moving forward but i'm not worried about terry keeping on keeping on it's just one of those things where can we get the guy a good quarterback at some point at any point i mean guys i went through actually and looked at the career quarterbacks for terry mclaurin pulling up that handy dandy tweet i sent out yeah here we go Carson Wentz, Taylor Heineke, Alex Smith, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Dwayne Haskins, Colt McCoy, Case Keenum, Kyle Allen, and Garrett Gilbert. Sheesh, not great. So, yeah, I think it's a nice boom for Curtis Samuel. I think Terry McLaurin still warrants that boomer bust wide receiver two treatment that we've seen for most of the year. With Curtis Samuel, don't get completely carried away, but I think low-end wide receiver three is right where he should be. You know, Adam Thielen, Brandon Cooks, Marquise Brown. I believe I would start Curtis ahead of all those guys where it gets more interesting for me or guys like Michael Gallup, DJ Chark, Donald Peoples-Jones might just have a bit more of a boom to their game. Final note here, I guess, would be Brian Robinson set up well, but we saw a lot of Jonathan Williams last week. So the only note is if we do see Gibson unable to suit up, I'm not actually thinking it'd be this Brian Robinson 80-90% snap or, of course, roll. Probably would see a bit more Jonathan Williams than we would be hoping. Saints at the Eagles, Philly sitting at seven-point favorites, game total at 44. So, yeah, Alvin Kamara, you know, we freaked out last week about David Johnson running more routes, and Kamara isn't exactly pleased either. Nick Underhill wrote a great story on New Orleans.football and basically said that he asked Kamara, how come he hasn't been used more on third downs this season? Kamara's answer, I don't know. You got to ask someone else. So it's just one of those things where the offense – Hey, if it was Arthur Smith's Falcons in the first half of the year and we didn't like the usage, but you look at the stats and they're top 10 and everything, okay, it'd be kind of hard to be mad at this. But just with Kamara, I just feel like you're neutering the dude. You're taking away the thing he does best, and that is operate in the passing game. So just 8.8 PPR points per game this year in the passing game. I mean, early on, 2017, he had 12.1 PPR points per game from purely receiving production, 11.7, 10, 12.6 over the final three years. With Drew Brees, excuse me, last two years, though, 9.3 and again, 8.8. So with Kamara, it's not like you can't play him. He did have a top 10 finish last week thanks to that rushing volume. Just realize we're not getting the pass game cheat code. For me, Alvin Kamara is my RB19 behind guys like Tyler Algier, Leonard Fournette, Jarek McKinnon, amongst others. Final note here with Shid Shaheen, if Chris Alave remains out, is going to be a volume base, probably borderline wide receiver three. Let's see where I ended up with the guy. Yeah, I have him ranked wide receiver 41 right now. I could see myself even bumping him up there, but he's kind of in that Curtis Samuel, Brandon Cooks, Marquise Brown, Adam Thielen range that we just talked about. With the Eagles, pretty simple. Sounds like Jalen Hurts is going to miss another week, and that gives us another week to be able to stream Gardner Minshew with confidence. Had the top 10 finish last week, and I have him ranked as my QB9 ahead of Week 17. And when you have, again, the number one supporting cast in the NFL when we're just looking at combined rushing, receiving, pass blocking, run blocking grade, you guys have seen all these dudes. AJB, Devontae Smith, Miles Sanders had a bad week, but he's generally been running well this season. Not trying to take anything away from Minshew. He's a good quarterback in his 
own right, but you could not pick a better offense to drop any quarterback in and expect to find some immediate success. So feel good about all these guys against the Saints defense that uh, just have not seen really be uh, all that great this year, especially without Marshawn Lattimore for the better part of the season. Jets at the Seahawks. Jets sitting as two-point favorites. Game total 42.5. Mike White is back, and we're even getting the reports saying they want to be planning to see if he could be their long-term answer under center. Maybe. He's certainly a hell of a lot better than Zach Wilson, but who isn't, if we're being honest with ourselves? Would just know he is a bottom-five quarterback in adjusted completion rate. When you look at some other stuff, PFF passing grade, he's 19th, big-time throw rate. He's eighth. He does grade out better. Just hasn't always been the cleanest performances from Mike White. So we're still working with the small sample size. It's only this dude's second season. Like, you look at some of the other quarterbacks that have just been starting over these first, uh, I mean, they came into the league in 2021 or this season, and you're going to see Mike White's name, you know, a lot more favorably when we're not comparing him against a bunch of veterans very much is legal for these players to get better as their career goes on i'm just not you know crown his ass just yet as you know the late great uh Dennis Green might have been saying. So I would say with Mike White being back, we can feel better about him in fantasy. I've ranked as my QB 11, especially against the Seattle defense that we've seen be bad more so than they've been good throughout the year. It helps the touchdown upside for Zonovan Knight. That said, Michael Carter's still involved to a decent extent, especially in the passing game. The big win for me is going to be Garrett Wilson, PPR wide receiver four, wide receiver nine, and wide receiver 26 with Mike White under center. So with Seattle, they have not been using their best corner to shadow a specific wide receiver all season long i'm going all in on garrett this week guys my wide receiver 12 ahead of baller wide receiver twos like t higgins like Devonte smith and ahead of guys that honestly have worse situations under center you could argue like a terry mclaurin like a brandon Ayuk, but it's close like a deandre hopkins especially on the Seahawks side, Kenneth Walker, guys, last week, he played 39 snaps and he had 26 carries and two targets. So on the one hand, it'd be a lot better to see him play more than 53% of the offensive snaps, especially with Travis Homer banged up. But Seahawks going to Seahawk. They are going to keep using DJ Dallas or Travis Homer in clear pass for situations. But 28 combined carries and targets if you, who cares if you play 28 snaps then that's fine so with walker still someone that warrants borderline rb1 treatment thanks to that sweet sweet volume and just a credit to walker on a great rookie season pff's ninth highest graded rusher and ninth in missed tackles force per carry only other note would be guys noah Fant we could actually get a weak winner potential. I mean, Taysom Hill, the guy we were all over last week, this week, I do think it could be Noah Fant because Will Disley got put on IR. His season's over, and that's been the only problem for Fant throughout the season. He's impressed with his opportunities, as he has throughout his entire career, really, but there's always been an Albert O or a Will Disley just limiting those overall opportunities. So I know you earn your targets and all that, but with Fant now, you take – Disley out of the picture. Who knows if Tyler Lockett is going to be back just yet. Does seem like he's being set up to be uh, Geno's clear-cut number two pass game option in a sweet revenge game here against the Jets. So DK Metcalf, Kenneth Walker, you're starting them no matter what. But I do think Noah Fant warrants top 12 treatment in his own right. I would start Fant ahead of guys like Taysom Hill, Cole Komet, Darren Waller, Gerald Everett, amongst others. We got the 49ers at the Raiders. San Fran, six-point favorites. Game total sitting at 46. So, yes, I cherry-picked these stats. It's kind of my job, but I also think they're pretty reasonable, normal stats. I'm not telling you, you know, third down, deep, 20 yards down the sideline within three yards of the out-of-bounds type of stuff. Pure PFF passing grade this year. Brock Purdy's at 69. Nice. Jimmy G's at 69 and a half. Passer rating, Purdy, 103.1. Jimmy G, 103. Yards per attempt, they're both at 7.9. And completion rate, Purdy's at 67.2%. And Jimmy G at 67.1%. Again, just wild how close they've been. And if you want to say Purdy's been better or worse, whatever, it's just amazing how much they can keep on keeping on with now their third string quarterback out there. So four appearances with Purdy, the offense has scored 33, 35, 21, and 37 points. He's done at least two passing touchdowns in each of those. So maybe we get Debo Samuel back. Hopefully he's, you know, just back to his usual self. But if not, George Kittle, Brandon Ayo continuing to benefit from that condensed volume. And as we all know, Christian McCaffrey, the RB1, y'all. 
Darren Waller usage. Unfortunately, we can't be chasing some of this production. Three catches, 48 yards, and a touchdown. His first game back from injury, four catches for 58 yards last week. The problem, guys, just a 58% route rate. Over these past two weeks, he's run 44 routes. Foster Moreau has run 32. So it could change, but I am not trusting Waller as more than an upside tight end, too. I would start guys like Pat Fryer with Noah Fant, Taysom Hill, and even Cole Komet ahead of him this week. Otherwise, Josh Jacobs, Devontae Adams, you guys know what to do. Battle for LA, Rams at the Chargers. Chargers sitting as six and a half point favorites. Game total at 41. Baker Mayfield, guys, six highest graded passer in week 16. Posted a week high 92.6 adjusted completion rate. Look, one of two quarterbacks on the week with a sub five yard average target depth. So let's not go too crazy. I will say with Mayfield, we've seen a lot of quarterbacks be bad their entire career. And if you want to say Baker's a bad quarterback, that's what he has been for the majority of the last 24 months. But the end of his 2018 rookie season, where he set the then NFL record for passing touchdowns as a rookie, Justin Herbert since broke it. The end of 2018 and the end of 2020, when he got the Browns their first playoff win since the team had to, you know, come back after they originally moved to Baltimore, like first playoff win since 1994. I mean, he was legit really good down the stretch in 2020. And the whole time, let's face it, didn't exactly have the best wide receivers to work with. And I will stand OBJ every day until I die. I'm just saying he was banged up for a lot of that stretch anyway. And then it was basically uh, even younger Donovan Peoples-Jones being forced to be the number one. So I'm just, again, Baker Mayfield, he's been a bad quarterback, but we've also seen him, at least for spurts, be a really good quarterback. And the fact that he was able to pull this performance out of his ass, throwing the 2-2 at one Van Jefferson, you know, it's good for the future. So at a minimum, guys, if Baker's going to be Matthew Stafford's backup or going to be, you know, more of a bridge quarterback, I do think some of these teams could do worse. That said, I have had some pretty bad takes on Baker, you know, really ascending and not uh, being this bad for uh, stretches over the years. So maybe I'm just trying to, uh, you know, fix those up. But either way, good to see Baker actually have some positive things happening for him after an awfully rough last two seasons. Similar sentiment can be said for Cam Akers. So on the year, look, he's still 36 in yards per carry, 29th in yards after contact per carry among 39 running backs. But the O-line hasn't done him much help throughout the year. And at least at this point, we're getting that sweet, sweet volume. 17.8 touches per game over the last month of action with snap rates north of 70% in three of his last four games. So it does look like the Chargers are getting Joey Bosa back, which is absolutely huge. I mean, you probably don't need two hands to count the number of defensive linemen truly better than Joey Bosa at this point in time. But we saw this team last year with Joey Bosa, just not overly committed to stopping the run. And we can also see Derwin James out of the picture accordingly after he, you know, initiated and then took that huge hit last week. So Cam Akers is inexplicably probably, you know, unless you picked them up, probably team didn't make it far enough to be benefiting from these performances. But Cam Akers took a while, is the volume-based RB2 that we drafted him to be back in August. With the Chargers, so Keenan and Mike Williams returned in week 11. Mike did miss an additional three games basically after that. But since Keenan returned in week 11, guys, he has 63 targets. Josh Palmer has 40 and Austin Eckler's in third with 38. So this is going to be an interesting thing next year because as we saw with this offense, I think in L.A. with Herbert and also in Carolina with McCaffrey over the years, it's amazing for fantasy when you have that running back who's becoming the featured target of the pass game. But when you're just force feeding them the ball, not even looking deeper, you know, tunnel vision, just in the check down. I don't think that's really the best way to run an offense in the year 2022. So I just wonder if Eckler, you know, we're seeing him similar to McCaffrey put up these bonkers numbers, not necessarily because he's making the most out of every single touch, but because he's being force fed a target share that honestly, they just didn't have anywhere else to go with the also still scoring touchdowns still incredibly good at his job but when you see Eckler as the overall RB1 this season in full PPR scoring um it is just wild to see again one wide receiver come back a very good one in Keenan Allen's you know defense and then just immediately I mean again since week 11 63 targets to Keenan for 38 to Eckler just wild to see that disparity so the good news for Keenan is that he's been absolutely balling with those opportunities I mean he's got 14 or more targets in three of the last four games since returning from injury the PPR wide receiver 19 22 11 9 19 and 9 so Keenan for me is my wide receiver 10 on the week I was starting ahead of guys like Chris Goblin Garrett Wilson Higgins Devontae, Terry McLaurin, Metcalf, amongst others. 
Vikings at the Packers and Lambeau. Green Bay sitting as three-point favorites. Game total of 48 and a half. Kirk Cousins, three straight top five fantasy finishes. Dude is on a heater. And at some point, like when these receivers who are awesome, Justin Jefferson, Stefan Diggs, Adam Thielen, lost a step at this point, but we all saw what he could do, you know, a couple years ago. How many great receivers can have awesome seasons before we're like, you know, Kirk Cousins probably deserves just a little bit of credit for that. So at this point, though, Justin Jefferson needs 27 receptions to break Michael Thomas's single season record and then 208, I believe. Yeah, 208 receiving yards to break Calvin Johnson's all time single season record. So hopefully he gets there. I'm still of the opinion that, you know, they make the MVP award just a quarterback award and the offensive player of the year award then goes to pretty much the best non quarterback out there but god forbid the mvp was just like the best player relative to the peers at the position justin jefferson really would have a an argument in that case so just an incredible season from justin jefferson unfortunately the cooper cup injury we didn't get the full season sample to see who was going to be this year's wide receiver one but obviously anyone that was ranking jefferson that way feeling good at this point in the year Final point, though, it goes back to Kirk Cousins. So I want to get an idea about which quarterbacks have more so than just looking at drops, had a lot of opportunities left on the field that weren't their fault. So I looked at the average target depth on those drops. And this doesn't include the actual potential yak or the potential touchdowns that could have gone with this, but we're looking at basically the total air yards lost on those drops. Number one, the NFL is Josh Allen. Two is Trevor Lawrence, three Patrick Mahomes, and number four is Kirk Cousins. So great year from Kirk helping helping enable Jefferson, having some clutch moments, you know, with that, oh my God, the Colts comeback amongst some other games. Yeah, you can say it's a fluky, you know, record and one score games and all that. And guess what? It is going to regress next year, but at some point we need to give guys credit for playing really well and not just say yeah but they're probably not going to play as well in the future i mean can you imagine if real life was just like that all the time you do you have a great project at work and they're like hey man this was your best stuff yet too bad you're never going to be as good as that again based on you know your average production over the past three years and how regression works like come on let's be a little more positive (laughs) with this sometimes with the Packers, though, Aaron Jones, just so tough, guys. He's been banged up for the better part of the season. I mean, knee, ankle, shin, glute injuries. It's been one thing after another. But when he's practicing in a limited fashion all week and he's not entering Sunday with the game designation, it's just tough to be overly you know, confident about what's going on. So he did say after the game that he rolled up his ankle early in, I believe he said it was his first carry of the second half last week. But again, it's one of those things where he wasn't giving an, giving an official ankle injury designation during the game so just tough to know truly how much of that was him being banged up and how much of that was the floor just being more confident in AJ Dillon who has outscored Jones in two of the last four games so just do want to give a shout out to Jones because I know he left a bad taste in a lot of fantasy managers mouths last week but really arguably his best season as a pure rusher of his career if you look at 40 running backs with at least 100 carries Jones ranks fourth in PFF rushing grade third in yards per carry 12th in yards after contact per carry tied for second in missed tackles force per carry great season from jones on efficiency basis but yeah, A.J. Dillon, Aaron Jones, to me, both top 24 running backs at this point. Just not guys you can feel overly fantastic about, especially considering the Packers might just go to the air against this Vikings defense that ranks dead ass last in PPR points per game allowed to opposing wide receivers. So keep an eye on the Christian Watson hip injury, but not considered too serious. He is day-to-day. So if Christian Watson is good to go, he's going to be right there in the top 20 for me. Arguably could have had two touchdowns last week with a bit better ball from Aaron Rodgers. If Christian Watson is out of the picture, all of a sudden, Romeo Dobbs and Alan Lazard would both be in that low-end wide receiver three conversation. I would start them ahead of guys like Adam Thielen, Brandon Cooks, Marquise Brown, amongst others. Steelers at the Ravens, Sunday night football, Baltimore three-point favorites game total, resting out lowly 36. That's like a 2000, you know, 10, 2011 Steelers-Ravens game, but we're just not even getting that dominant of defenses either. But man, those games used to be wild. Remember that shit? Troy Polamalu just going out there, headhunting Ed Reed and Terrell Suggs on the other side. Of course, and a little bit late for uh, Ray Lewis at that point, but man, that was, in my opinion, the most physical rivalry I've had the pleasure of viewing and basically my 20 or so years of watching football but yeah Kenny Pickett 
hasn't been great this year. But again, I don't want to fall into the mistake where we're just only comparing him against a bunch of veterans in better situations. So I looked at Kenny Pickett versus the other rookie quarterbacks from last year and this year. And out of the seven qualified guys with at least 100 dropbacks, he's fifth in yards per attempt, second adjusted completion rate, fourth in passer rating, and third in PFF passing grade behind Mac Jones and Brock Purdy. So will he take a leap like a Trevor Lawrence or is he just bad like a Zach Wilson? I guess we'll just have to find out. But I guess just the problem is he does have a lot of weapons in the offense you can say matt canada hasn't helped matters and i probably would agree with that for the most part just again sad to see that when the schedule did lighten up we just didn't get too many booms out of picket and this offense but certainly wouldn't shut the book on him just yet on being a great quarterback We'll see if uh, Deontay Johnson can keep this mini hot streak going. Still 130 <laughs> scoreless freaking targets on the year. That would be the most in NFL history if it maintains on the Ravens side of things. So since J.K. Dobbins has been back here weeks 14 through 16, he leads the way, but it is a three running back committee. Dobbins 72 snaps, Gus 53, Justice Hill and Kenyon Drake have combined for 43 carries Dobbins has 40 Gus has 31 but targets Dobbins has two and Hill and Drake combined for four so JK Dobbins he's been running well he looks a little bit healthier out there and that's great he's someone that you can put into a majority of lineups and feel fine about just realize he's only my RB 25 because there's guys with similar workloads but less immediate uh, competition like Najee Harris Miles Sanders Aaron Jones AJ Dillon and Ezekiel Elliott Final one here, guys. Just an awesome game. I don't even have all that much to say about this other than get your freaking popcorn ready. Bills at the Bengals on Monday Night Football. Buffalo sitting as one and a half point favorites. Game total about 49 and a half. So really, yeah, it's going to be awesome. Josh Allen, you know, really the only issue we've seen this year is a turnover worthy plays. He does have a league high 29 of them, fifth highest rate. But when you look at the EPA per drop back, I believe he's the third most efficient quarterback in the league and just everything else with the offense. Like you are clearly okay with a few boneheaded mistakes from Josh Allen when that also instills the living fear of God into the opposing defenses because you never know what the dude's going to attempt next so hey dropped interceptions you can say that you know we're way more lenient on those for Josh than we are for guys like Tua and I think you'd have a decent point especially with how you know a lot of the Tua and on stuff ends up going on Twitter but just again Josh Allen and the fact that other than Stefan Diggs, like who would we really definitively call an above average pass catcher in this offense? Gabriel Davis has had his booms, but in his first full season as a full-time starter, not exactly the overall production we were looking for. Isaiah McKenzie, Khalil Shakur. I mean, they had to bring back their 2020 squad with John Brown and Cole Beasley. Dawson Knoxville with a step back too. So would really love to see the Bills go out of their way to get him a just better number two wide receiver than they have had over these years. I know Emmanuel Sanders was doing some decent things last year, but just one of those things where when you have Josh Allen, not the end of the world if you can, hey, add a couple other high-end guys. But similar to what we see in Kansas City, you also have Josh Allen. So if you want to put your resources elsewhere, he'll probably keep on keeping on just fine. And finally, Joe Burrow, he is PFF's highest graded passer on the season. And a lot of those interceptions, similar to Dak Prescott, weren't even his fault. In fact, Joe Burrow leads the league with seven interceptions that were not even deemed to be turnover-worthy plays. So the drops that led to interceptions, you know, amazing plays that by defenders, receiver falls down, not all on Burrow this year. And also, how about that rushing production, guys? Five rushing scores on the year. And, you know, a season removed from coming back from that injury, understandably saw Burrow like Dak last year, not exactly be as willing to run around, but it's been a sneaky, solid rushing floor from Burrow. And it was something that he did a lot more at LSU than I think people gave him credit for. But overall on the season, 16.5 rushing yards per game. I mean, he was only at 7.4 last season, 14.2 as a rookie. So I don't think we could be confusing Burrow for Lamar Jackson or anything anytime soon, but that's solid, guys. I mean, just even having a little bit of that, that's way more than what Justin Herbert, who has been playing through the rib injury, and guys like Tua have been able to supply at all. So overall, if you just look at the total fantasy points per game from purely rushing production among quarterbacks, Burrow comes in at 13. So again, pretty solid year for Burrow, obviously throwing the football to all the guys we know about, but also low-key as a rusher. 
And with that, everyone going to wrap up basically our last game-by-game preview episode of the season. So can't say enough how much I appreciate all you guys continuing to tune in. I know we've had rotating cast here a bit of episodes and very much, you know, looking forward to getting some more stability here in the offseason and beyond. So we'll be back on Friday with my guy Nick Botterford going through all the fantasy-relevant injuries ahead of the weekend. But otherwise, have a happy holiday. Have a freaking happy new year. Go Buckeyes. Down goes the Bulldogs. I am absolutely terrified of that game. So just let me have my mini moment here. Uh, Any Georgia fans? uh, Yeah, you guys are really freaking good. So I am terrified of that. But yeah, week 17. Great day to be great. Let's go win some championships. I'm Ian Hardis. Thanks again for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And until next time, take care, everybody.